I do want to fuck other people right away. And yes, it's because our current sexual patterns aren't enough. So I don't want to sugarcoat this. For some people, that is the driver. For me, I genuinely thought that my first husband would not care about the sex part because we had a very um, casual sexual connection. It wasn't really soft. Like it was, it was lackluster at best. And that's how he wanted it. notes before we start this episode. The first is that as we're moving from fall into winter and I'm reflecting on this year and where I'm going to take everything with the podcast, there are two things I want to share with you. One is that I'm going to start to do more surveys again. So if you want to be a member of my big sexy data set, which is the group of people that I do surveys on and with, then you can just, um, this is not technologically advanced, but literally the way that I do this right now is you email me at dearmenpodcast at gmail.com and say, add me to the big sexy data set. And then I manually add you. I'm going to definitely streamline that soon, but that's how it works for now. So if you're interested in contributing to the data and to the surveys that I do, I would love to have you just, yeah, just email me dearmenpodcast at gmail.com. And then if you would like to support the podcast itself and join our community, we would love to have you as a patron. So if you can go to patreon.com and look for Dear Man Podcast, you can join us. If you join at a $10 month level or more, you will get access to our live monthly Q&As. And I think that this, this podcast episode itself is pretty edgy. And I just want to say that if you've been looking for a place or a space, a safe space to talk about some topics around sex, dating, and relationships with me and with other people who care about these things and want to learn and grow and be honest together and expand together, then you should really consider joining because those calls are really, um, yeah, just a wonderful place of coming together. And then finally, I'm going to be running a breathwork experience in the fall or winter of this year. And that breathwork experience will be open only to graduates or current uh, members of our, of our group coaching program or patrons. So if you are interested in that, um, there will be more events and more things that I'm going to run starting, you know, fall and winter for patrons only and or for clients or former clients. So if that's interesting to you, like I said, just go, just Google Patreon, Dear Man Podcast. It should come up right away. And if you are interested in the breathwork course, there will be more information on that coming soon. And um, yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode. Very curious to hear what you think about it. And again, if you want to join the Big Sexy Data Set, you can also just email me at dearmanpodcast at gmail.com. Hello, hello. We are back again. I am so excited to have Dr. Jolie with me, good friend. Um, so today we are talking about open relationships and how to talk about it. And um, I'm just going to briefly introduce you and then talk about what we're up to together and then we'll get into the content. What so, we're up to. I love that. What are we up to? 
too. Um, Dr. Jolie Hamilton is a research psychologist and the coach for couples who color outside the lines, which is perfect for our discussion today um, because we are both involved with a retreat that is coming up in November that is specifically for open-minded people, whether they identify as monogamous, polyamorous, ethically non-monogamous, whatever, however they identify, polycurious, things like that, um, to bring those folks together and to have a safe container to explore the kinds of topics that we're going to talk about today. So I just wanted to presence that, that I will be attending that. Jolie will also be there along with a few other collaborators of ours. And um, we're really excited about it. And this, this topic is a big one. And it's one of the, I think, most challenging parts of the process of relating and being particularly in long-term committed relationships. Um, often one person or the other or both might be curious about this topic, but not know how the hell do I bring that up with my partner? What the hell do I even say? How do I say I'm interested or I'm curious about open relationships without pissing off your partner, hurting their feelings, having them feel like they're not enough. That's a big one. Um, so yeah, it's a big topic. And I would love to hear um, from you just a little bit of, just a little bit about your own journey around this topic in particular. What, what has this been like for you? And then you guide people through this as well. I guide people through this, Mel, because I chose the flamethrower method. So if anyone would like to um, live into that example, go ahead. I don't recommend it. I also took the flamethrower literally while I was in a shower 2 a.m. in the morning post-clubbing shower with my husband. And I was like, Ink. yeah, that's just not like it was not a cool move. I was so naive. When I'm curious, can you bring us into what the flamethrower actually sounded like? Yeah. Yeah, I can. I've told this story on stage. I've actually won an award for telling this terribly embarrassing story. It is such a lovely story because my naivete flows forth. I only barely knew about the concept of open relationships. I was 32 years old, but I I got married when I was 20. I was having a baby every two years and very happy about that. I loved having my babies and doing that whole thing early. But when the concept of open relating came up to me, I was like, I don't, oh, 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 very curious, very curious. And yet still, I didn't do anything about it. So in this moment, so here's what happens. I'm out dancing. Now, I have not spent any time at dance clubs or bars because I've been having babies for a decade. Um, And I was too young to drink before I was having babies. So I'm in my first bar era. My youngest child is just weaning from the breast. And I've entered this era of crossfitting and clubbing. Now, the third time I go out, I'm on a sticky dance floor and I'm feeling all the things that you feel when the vibes are really, really good and the music's really good. And I had this moment where I felt something for someone who I'd known my whole life. And I was like, oh, how unusual. I felt all this attraction. And now this wasn't that crazy for me because I had fallen for people over and over again. Like it was normal. And I think most of us can relate to the idea of you have a crush, right? You you crush on someone. Sure. But I'd been monogamous. I monogamy is all I knew. And I was also bisexual. My husband knew I was bi the whole time. I had been out as bi since I was a kid. Um, so it wasn't that 
big a, a deal for me to have a crush on someone. And yet, we'd also recently been exposed to this idea that some people took this crush thing to like another level. Somebody, some people took it out of the monogamous realm and took it into other words that we'd barely even heard. Words like polyamory, words like CNM, ENM, swinging, I, words I barely understood other than as like tropes in movies. And so this is how the field is set. And I come home from a really like really erotic feeling experience. So you know, nothing happened. We just danced. Um, and I hopped into the shower with my husband and I was like, total squee moment. I just evolved into a total squee. And I'm like, ah, I can't believe this. I am so hot for insert the name of his closest friend. Now, I know. I know. When you hear this story, it sounds crazy. It sounds so dumb. Like, how do you not see this, Jolie? Like the wall, the the shower walls, the writing's all over them. How do you not see it? But I had fallen for girls the whole time we'd been together. We'd been together for 17 years. And I had almost always had at least one significant crush that we would talk about. We would fantasize about. I, I was always crushing on my girlfriends, always. And I never did anything about it. I just, that's just how I felt. This felt the same for me. And yet, um, the person who I was now crushing on had a penis, which changed the game for my husband. That's a kind of a sidebar. Like, let's have that conversation because one penis policies are kind of whack and we should deal with that. But even so, I think also the field had been changed because it had recently come to light that a bunch of our friends were in some way or another open. And so this hit my husband as like, wait, what? Wait, okay, wait, this could be a threat. Oh, like it all. And I could see the ton of bricks, like the 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 backloader just like backed up to the shower and just dumped all the bricks right on his head. And I, if I could go back to that moment, I would do it completely differently because I had no idea what I was unleashing. And to be perfectly honest, because I have told this story before, 45 days later, we were on our way to divorce and I no longer lived with him. So I don't recommend that method. Don't do it. Cautionary tale, big time. And there are better ways to go about this. There are much healthier ways to go about this. And you're still with your husband. Okay, so here's the deal. I am no longer with that husband, but I am with the guy who I fell for. Whoa, plot twist. Right? Yeah. So I wind up in a very fast divorce, which is unheard of. We had four biological children together. We were divorced within five months. And I was within two months, I was living in a triad with the person I had fallen for. Like living in it, in their home. And then they were living in my home. And we lived that way for a couple of years. And I am, in fact, on the day we're recording this is my 10th anniversary, my 10th marriage anniversary, because we actually did the whole marriage thing, even though we're very, very polyamorous. Um, 10th anniversary of marrying that person against all odds, against all, like all of this is like, we did it all so badly and there was so much hurt, so much angst, so much pressure, so much confusion, all of that. Am I enough? Um, what does this mean? Um, what, what could the future possibly hold? What will this do to our children? All the questions actually just played out real time in our lives. And so I devoted the rest of my professional career to well, getting 
um, a handful of psychology degrees and certifications and helping people not take the flamethrower approach. So let's talk about not taking the flamethrower approach. I feel like when I, when I feel into doing this, I, you know, and what I mean by doing this is taking a monogamous partner and Mm -hmm. talking to him about, I'm interested in opening up our relationship in some way. I have a number of concerns. One is that he is going to hear, I want to fuck other people right away, which is what I mean. Uh, And another thing I'm afraid he'll hear is um, you're not enough. Like sex with you is not enough. I want to fuck other people because you're not enough. So I'm curious, how do you uh, guide people through having this talk with a partner and sort of addressing those concerns right off the bat? How does, what does it actually sound like? Yeah. So the beginning of this actually starts with taking stock of where you are, because let's be real for some people, the answers to those two questions are, yes, I do want to fuck other people right away. And yes, it's because our current sexual patterns aren't enough. So I don't want to sugarcoat this. For some people, that is the driver. For me, I genuinely thought that my first husband would not care about the sex part because we had a very um casual sexual connection. It wasn't really so, like it was it was lackluster at best and that's how he wanted it. I was the driver of our sex life so I was like why would he care? What's the difference? I was wrong because the follow up of that because I'm not enough was the thought that instantly exploded in his brain. Now that's actually his psychological stuff to unpack. I'm not doing that to my partner. However, I am the impetus. I'm the reason that question appears on the scene. So this is a both and. I need to take responsibility for me bringing it up. And at the same time, yeah, uh, sexual autonomy is a thing some people want. So I want to take stock of where I am. What is my actual reason for wanting to explore this? And how long have I been thinking about this? Because For many people who come into my world, they are not just days or weeks. I was literally just days into the concept of like, whoa, what if like, wow, I have all these feelings and oh, now I have this juicy like sensation in my body day. It was literally the same night. I felt the juicy sensation that I told my partner. So I did it very fast. And there's something to be said for being really honest. I was following my foot into transparency. However, I didn't have any language, right? So maybe a little too fast. On the other hand, so frequently, I see people who are months, years, decades of pondering this, of wanting this, of idealizing it, imagining that this is the way that they could finally feel fulfilled, but they haven't actually talked to their partner. Now, there are two two problems to this. One is Often we don't actually know what it is that we want. We've just idealized this idea that opening would fix something. But the other problem is every day that I am researching, right? I hear people all the time say, well, I just feel like I need to get it figured out and then I can guide us. Like, you're not an expert. It's okay that you're not an expert at this. Don't worry about that. Worry about, are you actually on the same page or are you actually creating another whole relationship trajectory in your head that your partner has no idea about? And now as you get further and further down this path of exploring and understanding the language, like what is jealousy and, and what is compersion and how what kinds of open relating are there? You start creating this imaginal relationship future 
your partner has no idea about. You become this proto-expert. Like in your head, you imagine you're an expert and also you are now actually more informed. Both are true. You're more informed. And now when you finally bring them on board, however you choose to tell them, be prepared. How long did you give yourself to get that information? How long did you like allow yourself to explore not just the knowledge? Because I mean, you can go get a bunch of books. You can download podcasts. There are so many resources. Cool. But then how did you sit with it? What did you do? Did you go to therapy? Did you seek out some coaching? Did you talk to your friends? Did you start hanging out in Facebook groups anonymously and, and like figure out they didn't get a chance to do that? And so now every month, every year that's gone by, think about the fact that don't they deserve time too? So I want people to be somewhere between, yep, the very first second, the idea flashes in my eye and I even know, like, don't even know what it is I'm, I mean, somewhere between that and letting this fester and percolate to be a divider between us, there's a sweet spot. It's going to be a little different for everyone, but I'm going to encourage you to bring your partner into the conversation as early as you can provide a safe container for them to have their feelings. They're probably going to have feelings like, why am I not enough? Yep. Can you create a safe container for them to have that feeling? Don't try to not have them have that feeling. Be the container that can hold that because that's a completely different angle than saying, I don't want her to feel this, especially if, I mean, here we are on Dear Men. If you're a dude and then you're bringing this to your wife, right? You're bringing this to your long-term partner. Don't ask her not to feel that. Don't tell her she's wrong for feeling that. She's having a feeling. Um, be with that. Be present to it. And create space and time for that to be addressed deeply. That doesn't mean it's going to resolve. I mean, I'm 15 years into a polyamorous relationship and I still have moments where I'm like, oh, grappling with that enough feeling. Yeah, because I'm human. So we don't try to fix it. We just create space where we could actually be with it. And I think that's a great example of part of the intention of the retreat that we're part of is, is to create that space, is to have a safe container for couples and singles. But I mean, it's primarily for couples or triads or people that are relating with each other. And so I think this is a great example of how would a man even bring up going to this retreat with his woman? So if he's not brought it up with her, let's say it's been a couple of months that he's been thinking about it. Maybe he hasn't done all the research, but he's done some of the research. What do you recommend? Do you recommend date night? Do you recommend let's go away on a weekend trip together? Do you recommend like, what do you recommend? And what are the actual words? I guess like one of the things I'm wondering is what are some mistakes? What are some like ways not to say it? And what are some ways to say it? Because I would imagine that yeah. there are, you've heard both. Yeah. So um, again, I want you to check in with yourself. First off, uh, get clear. Is this a is this a deal breaker for you? Are you coming to your partner with a I intend to be an open relating person and if you're not going to get on board with that, we're done because that is a totally different mood to enter this conversation with rather than I want to explore what opening might look like. I want to explore what it might feel like. I might even want to experiment with this. And I want to do that with you. 
the the way to invite the conversation is literally to make it a conversation. Now, there are definitely bad times. I would not recommend doing this um, within two hours of bedtime. I would not recommend doing this on the night before any sort of important work or social event. I would not recommend doing this before you're about to see the in-laws. I would not recommend doing this in the throes of an argument. And this happens all the time. You may not even be like actively arguing, but if there is an underlying argument going on, all you're doing is throwing gasoline on the fire. Let's not. So instead, I would recommend that you choose a time when you can control the situation a little bit. Like for instance, can you make sure that everyone is physiologically cared for? Like, can you attend to hungry, angry, lonely, and tired? Can you make sure people have had sleep, both you and your partner? Can Is there a time? So for a lot of people, that will mean like, yeah, I'm going to bring this up on a long weekend when I know that I have a little bit of way to control for this and, and at a time when I also don't have to have control over it. I can let it breathe I can let the conversation breathe. Maybe we'll have to take some breaks from each other because this might be really a lot. And then I want to choose my words with care, but I also don't want to, like, you don't have to force it. Like, you don't have to use my words. This is about you showing up with a spirit of curiosity that is appropriate to your relationship. So if you can create that container where there's enough wiggle room that you can have a, a generous conversation, cool. And then. The other thing I I have is if you're really struggling with the words, Ken and I, so my anchor partner and I, um, we recorded a conversation that you can actually hand to, you can like give this to them and say, here, the <laughs> I don't know how to say this well, and I want to start a conversation with you. I'm going to go sit on the couch. Would you take 17 minutes and listen to this for me? And then I am here and I want to be in a conversation with you. And we made that because we kept coming up against people who had brought it up while they were driving. Like I've actually, I know somebody who was in a car accident because they were driving. They were literally driving and it got so emotionally wrought. It's just a fender bender. Everything was okay. But like you both deserve to have as much safety around this. This is a paradigm shift. And even if you wind up going through this whole conversation and choosing conscious monogamy, it is still the exploration of a paradigm shift. So I want you to treat it like good red wine, like let it breathe. Okay. So a couple of questions. One is what I'm hearing is um, maybe like brunch, <laughs> brunch or yeah. lunch, not dinner or cuddle cuddling bedtime. Yep. Uh, there are resources that can help such as that conversation, which I will drop into the note, the show notes. It sounds like that's an audio situation. It's an an audio and there's a, a, a doc to just guide you through like, here's a way that you can present this. Okay. So there's an audio and there's a sort of, there's some guidance, a little guidance. Um, one of the things I want to talk about and touch on is when I think about this for me, for example, when I think about the driver, like, why would I want an open relationship? Why would I want this in my life? Part of it is I miss the part of me that is open and available in the world. And I miss the dance of flirtation. I miss the sort of like, oh, I think maybe he's checking me out. Oh, I think maybe he's interested too. And there's a fun 
effervescent, bubbly, exciting, unknown thing that I feel in my body. And I, I miss that. So it's a part of me that mm-hmm. I really like and miss. I have two questions here. One is, um, this might be another podcast, so feel free to say, let's not talk about that. But like, what are some other ways I could get that need met where that part of me could come forth and be expressed and I could feel those feels that mm-hmm. isn't necessarily polyamory or taking action? My follow-up is, am I allowed to share that with my partner? Is it a good idea to share that with my partner and to kind of own? Because it's it's different to say, I want to fuck other people versus... Mm-hmm. I want this part of me to still exist. I want to still feel this excitement. I want to still feel this fizzy, just, it's like, it was such a big part of my life before I was in a committed relationship and now it's gone. And it's so interesting because I go out to events or I go out in the world and I'm like, oh, my life is a little bit different now. There's a, mm-hmm. there's a sense of, because I think when I was single and when I was still like on the prowl, there was like always a sense of possibility or always a sense of potential. And that has shifted and you get, you get other different great things when you're a committed relationship. So it's not like you don't get great things, but they, they switch like the things, things shift. Like you said, the paradigm changes. So is that part of what you guide people to include? Is that quote allowed? Are you allowed to talk about that? I know there's not allowed, not allowed, but you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah. Can you, can you speak a little bit to that of the, the driver for, I would imagine some people is, oh, I, I miss that part of me. I miss that feeling. Or I miss that sense of myself. It's not just about sexual variety. It's actually about my selfhood. Yeah. I, I'll be honest. What I typically hear is more cisgender women who are like, I miss that part of me, the part of me that was effervescent and was available and feeling into each connection to feel like, what is this? And I typically hear from cisgender men that their original impetus isn't so nuanced as that. And it is a little bit more like, I miss physical interactions with new people, right? And that's that's not always, but that is what I often see. But the common denominator across everybody, every gender I've spoken to, every everyone is, this is entirely about you, your individuation, your exploration of yourself as a psychological being, as a spiritual being, as a relational being. But it feels like it's about your partner. To, the, to your partner, it will feel like it's about them. It's not. It is about, even in my case, so using my story as an example, my sex life was lackluster. I was not okay with it. I had made that clear for 16 of the 17 years we were together. And that wasn't actually the impetus. The impetus was that I felt that awakening in myself. And I was like, oh, I want to move toward that. I want to find out what's there. That is what I hear across the board. People get this curiosity of, oh, who who is that in me? Who is that? How do I know them? And yeah, there are other ways to get to know that part of yourself or those parts of yourself. And there are also, there's a range of ways too. Let's talk about the fact that this isn't about monogamy or polyamory, right? If we were to picture those at opposite ends of a particular spectrum, there are also a lot of places you and I have talked before about creative monogamy, 
Like, for instance, what if your version of opening is that you're going to attend specific events throughout the year where you are in an open status where you're like, yep, here's what our agreement is. We have really clear agreements. We understand what they are. And here's our touch agreements. Here's our STI agreements. Here's our relational agreements. And now we go. Maybe we go to a hotel takeover. Maybe we go to a party and we just experience. For some people, that's not even about going and interacting with other people. They simply go put themselves in that juicy environment and soak that up and then interact physically with each other. So it can be that far over toward monogamy where you're literally just exposing yourself to the energy of openness and sex-positive spaces. Or it could be way over toward another end of the spectrum where we say, I want to know who I am when I am relating to multiple people on a deeply intimate level. I want to know how I am reflected in each of these mirrors. And I want to take on the effort that it is to be an integrated self (laughs) in the face of these different people that are awakened in me. But all of these journeys have at the center of them that this is a personal thing. This is about the psychological experience of individuating, which often happens at midlife. So if you happen to be between the ages of, say, 35 and 55, I would not be at all surprised if this has pounced on you and you feel captured by it because <laughs> you're in the zone. <laughs> captured by it. Well, I, I like, I want to just highlight something that you said because I think, again, part of the intention of the retreat we have coming up is that it's a place and a space where you can explore because I, my experience of a lot of the men that I work with around this topic is they're not sure. Yeah, they're they not don't even know. They don't, they don't know exactly what they want. They don't know exactly where they want the boundaries to be. They, But they feel that call that you were talking about. They feel the curiosity. They feel the draw. They feel the pull. They feel, they feel the feeling. And then they're kind of like, shit, what do I do with that? I don't know how to talk to my partner about it. No one in my immediate vicinity or community is up to this. I don't really know how to bring my partner in. So they're maybe consuming content, like you said, and trying to get educated, but that's very different than having a mindful space where they can actually feel safe talking to their partner about it and talking to other people and having a space where their partner can talk to other people. Because I love what you said about, you know, this is mostly let's just use me as an, as an example. This is mostly about me. Like I said, this part of myself, and I love that you distinguished between, um, you know, cis women versus cis men. Um, and of course, if I bring it up to my partner, he's going to be involved, right? It's like, of course, he's going to think that it part of it's about him. Like that's very human. And, um, so I guess I just wanted to say like, it makes sense that this is hard. It makes sense that this is hard, right? It's like, and if you aren't sure about where you're at or what you want, that's normal. That's okay. We're not saying you have to have it all figured out before you talk to your partner. Because you I won't. Exactly. Like, I don't <laughs> think that's realistic. So I, I just wanted to say like, what you said was something to the effect of, I want to have this conversation with you and I want to do this with you. Like whatever we choose to do here, I want to do this with you. I don't have it all figured out. I'm not sure you're my teammate. Like I want to be on a team with you around this. This conversation isn't... And if anyone is listening to this and has already been um, 
has felt sideswiped by your partner mentioning this? Like if, if you've been on the receiving end, I want you to just take a breath with me and consider that this was also an invitation to you to know for for you to know your partner more deeply, for you to be invited into their process, invited into the exploration. And you still have a no, you still have autonomy. You still get to decide. The thing is, if they're wrestling with this, if you're wrestling with it, you're wrestling with it. You can choose to share that wrestling with your partner, or you can choose to keep building this internally alone. Which of those is more connective? And this is where I often find I'm having to talk someone down from the ledge saying, I know, I know you feel like this was an attack. It was either an attack on your marriage, an attack on your relationship, an attack on your life, an attack on your being. What it actually was, was your partner telling you something very, very private and special that's going on inside of them. And yeah, sometimes those things hurt because we're actually two separate individuals and we're growing all the time. So I hear the phrase polybombed thrown out quite a lot. We hear um, people will say, I got polybombed. So if they're in a monogamous relationship and your partner brings up non-monogamy, a lot of people will say, I got polybombed. I would I'm going to draw a line here and say, that's actually not getting polybombed. The concept of polybombing, I'm not even sure how great a concept or helpful it is, but is really meant to be like, I was out of nowhere, basically introduced to my partners, other partners, and, and like here, my life is now polyamorous. Yeah, that actually would feel like quite the explosive moment. But your partner inviting you into the conversation and saying, I want to explore this. I don't know where it's going to go for me but please be part of this with me. Well, how that happens when we want to change careers. That happens when we decide we want to have children. That happens when we take on a new spiritual path. And that happens lots of ways. It's just that this one swims against the stream that we all swim in all day, every day. I am a polyamorous human who is swimming in monogamous waters all day, every day. So it feels to some, some people like what they just heard is just wrong at an essential level. And that's where I'm going to ask you to like open your heart, soften just a little bit into the, the deep intimacy that was just offered and see if you can soften into a space of, okay, I am not a yes to this. And if I'm not a yes to this, then I am currently a no. We're, <laughs> I'm currently a no. And in the space of a no, we can still explore. We can explore the processes, we can explore the names, the, the language, the conversations. And one of the things many people find out is, whoa, people who are open relating have some pretty cool ways of relating. And so a lot of people who come through my programs find that, yeah, they may want some version of monogamy. That might be their path. The tools, the conversations, the interesting events to go to, those can all still fit and feel really awesome. And all of that will be halted for you if you're just a full out, I'm a no, and I don't even want to talk about this. So yeah, I thank you for bringing that up. And I know that we definitely touched on this in our other episode, which I'll drop in the show notes on creative monogamy. But something that I've noticed in speaking to mainstream people, like mostly mainstream, that's mostly who I work with, is when people hear open relationship, often they think solo dates with other people where we have sex. And I just want to say, 
because I have lots of poly friends and open, open friends. That is like level 10 of the fucking video game. That is like, that is really hard. And yes, people do it, but there are so many other levels before that. And one of them, like you said, is we go to parties together. We don't even play with other people. We play with each other at parties and we're like, we're in the vibe and we're seeing things and it's interesting. And there are lots of levels before you get to level 10, but I think that there's an assumption when the phrase open relationship is, is put out there that a, we're going to, we're going to go all the way. We're going to have full sex with people. Um, some couples make out. That's what they're, that's one of their boundaries or one of their agreements is making out. Some couples will only play with each other at parties. Some couples will play with other people when they are both at the same party, Mm -hmm. right? So they're within like one or two rooms of each other. There are a lot of ways to do it, which is again, why I think spaces like this retreat coming up are valuable because there aren't that many places where we can go to talk about this kind of thing with a group or with other people. And I think that's one of the things I see a lot in this, in this world is I'm trying to figure this out by myself. Right. Which is really funny when we're talking about relationships. It is. And it's so, and it's so isolating, right? It's like, oh, there's this thing on my heart. I've been thinking about it for a while. Maybe I'm reading some books and like watching some documentaries or I'm doing this research and I'm not sure what I want exactly. I'm not sure who to talk to about it. I can't talk to my partner because I don't want them to think they're not enough. Right. So there's just this, this, what if I don't even know yet? And what if I talk to them and find out they're super into it and I'm not into it yet? Ah. Yes. Wherever you are, the 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 idea is start the conversation from a place of let's stay curious and not jump into the deep end. Because I find that that deep end jump is often in over your heads because most of us don't actually have relationship agreements. I've had thousands of conversations with couples and individuals, and I have so far counted three agreements that were sufficient to manage jumping into the deep end before I talked to them. Three in thousands of conversations. So most people aren't ready for the deep end anyway. So you can actually, you could just decide, like, let's set that aside. We're not going to jump into the deep end of getting on apps, dating, or even going to parties. We are going to start with conversations like this. And let me be real clear, this retreat is not a swingers hotel takeover. This retreat is not a giant orgy. It is not. Everyone has their autonomy. If people decide to have explorations together, that's up to them. My goal as a guide and a leader in this space is to create conversation, to create a safe container, and to help people understand what it actually looks like to have these conversations, both with people you are already partnered to and with people in a way that is just truly sex positive, relational positive, to be in that space and be like, wow, what if we normalize having intimate conversations amongst friends, acquaintances? What if we normalize being able to get into the water together and say, wow, this is how I feel in my relationships? Um, that's what this is about. And I, I think it's important to say because most people expect, um, well, I mean, I work in sexuality all day, every day. Most conferences I go to do not include sex. Most events I go to do not include sex. It's, But there's this assumption if we're in the monogamous paradigm right now that people who are doing the sex things are like just slutting it up everywhere. And I mean, personally, I'm a slut and I still don't slut it up everywhere. So if you're wondering whether you're going to come and feel pressured or feel like you're left out of something, there's nothing to be left out of. This is a space 
for sharing what's on your heart, for grounding into your somatic sensations, and for learning tools. I teach very clear tools on like how to have these conversations and how to explore your shadow and yada, yada, yada. But mostly to be in the bigger conversation and practice being in that space of what if, what if. Yeah. And I want to, I want to talk about, you know, the experience of the person receiving this conversation. So one of the things that I have a curiosity about is, you know, you have, okay. When I imagine being in a, in a marriage, let's say, so I've, I've, I have made agreements. I've made vows to this person and they say, I would, I'm going to draw a line and say, that's not an agreement. A vow is not an agreement personally. I, and I'm, I'm going to be a hard ass about this one because those vows are usually incredibly vague. Nobody actually upholds them to the letter. So an agreement is going to be a much more consciously made, flexible, resilient plan that has clear ideas of like what the consequences are if we don't adhere to this agreement. Like, so a lot of people will have made vows, yes, but they may not actually have agreements that would hold back to agreements because I think agreements are obviously a key part of this whole thing. Yeah. Let's say I've made vows to this Mm -hmm. person, they made vows to me, and it's a couple years in, and they come to me and they say, I'm curious about open relationships. I be- I think that for me, there would be a part of me that would feel betrayed or yeah. a bait and switch. Like I thought we had this thing going on and now you want to change the rules to yes. some other thing that I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't, I just, I have this sense that it means you go fuck other people. Like that's right. Yeah. Like my, my, my alarm bells are going off. When I hear a relationship, I hear you going and fucking other people and me being abandoned or whatever story I have around that. Um, I'm curious about, you know, that, that experience that you're, you're talking about of like the, the, that person softening. I think I just want to make it clear that it's important that that person knows that they don't have to betray themselves. So I imagine when I imagine being in that scenario, I feel now I feel pressured. I'm like, fuck, my partner has come to me with this. It's something that he says that he wants. And now I I have all this tension in my body because I feel like I have to do something I'm not really okay with. And I Mm -hmm. don't really want to do. And if I don't, he won't be happy with me or he won't want to stay with me. And I could see how a bunch of rage would come up for me of like, I didn't choose this. I chose this other container. I chose monogamy. I made, you know, vows that I thought were going to be the whole duration of our relationship. So I'm curious what you see, what you see in your work, because you work with people on this, of the arc or the trajectory of that person, the person who's receiving, how, how does it go for them um, in terms of softening around that sense of like, shit, I have to now do something I wasn't, I didn't want to do. Otherwise I'll be left. Like how long does it take to kind of process that? Does it help for the partner to say, I'm not saying I'm leaving you if we don't do this, you know, how, yeah. what does it like end up looking like? Cause I could see that being fraught. Yeah. So first things first, one of the best things you can put in place when you start this conversation is to say, I am not hitting the exit button. I am here to be in this conversation with you. You, you, your no means no to me, but I, but also my request is that we are in a conversation, not that you're a no to the conversation at all. That's what I would request when I'm requesting is entering into the conversation, not I'm requesting to fuck other people. That's too fast. 
Um, and you're not ready. Anyways, just like in case you think you're ready, you're probably not ready. It's it's not going to go the way you think it is. So I, I want to come back to that idea of vows because not, not the difference between vows and agreements, but vows. It is true that most people, um, when they take their vows, they're taking, there's there's this word in a lot of vows. The word is forsake. I will forsake all others. Forsake comes, um, it comes, it's it's a Germanic old English word. It means to renounce, right? I will refuse. I will refuse all others. I will forsake all others. And what I'm curious about there is whether people really take in what that means when they make the vows. And I think most of us are not equipped to fully understand what it means to forsake because I would never ask my partner to forsake all other people. I would never ask them to like refuse an, a close connection to their friends, right? So there's something in here where we are conflating intimacy and sex and we're making them into one thing, but they're actually not, right? So we could tease this apart. And some people find that they are much more comfortable with the like, yeah, maybe we could be multiple in our sexual experiences, but I'm not okay with being multiple in our intimacy, our emotional intimacy. Some people are flipped from that. They're like, yes, take your friendships super deep, but yeah, sex is the line. Okay, cool. I got to know what sex is, by the way, because most of us don't. But when we are t- taking that vow and we feel that sense of betrayal, often it is because we we were in a process of committing to someone and we followed a script, a default boilerplate what I do is I get engaged and then I get married and I follow a script. And most of us, I think a lot of people write their own vows, but also they're riffing on some basic ideas. Now, I'm married um, and I had I have vows that I exchanged with someone and my vows do not in any way preclude his sexual, bodily, and emotional autonomy because I wrote them that way, right? Like that's how we wrote them. Most of us didn't know to do that. So this is that softening that I would ask for here is, yes, you can, you may feel betrayed right now. You know what? Your partner might even feel like they're betraying themselves. They may feel very confused about why, why is monogamy not feeling like enough for me? But there's plenty of research out there to show us that monogamy is just one way humans relate. But a couple thousand years ago, it started getting solidified into the idea that it is the one correct way. Or it is the one natural way. The data does not actually support that argument. So what if what's happening is that the concept of monogamy was not fully fleshed out when you made those vows? Neither of you actually knew what you were agreeing to. A little bit like your student loans. Did you really understand what this was going to cost you when you were signing on that dotted line when you were 18? Because I know I didn't. Most of us don't know what we were signing up for when we got married until we're trying to get out of that marriage or we're trying to change that marriage. So this is another time to slow down, like slow the roll and get into really like deep questioning of like, what did I think we were agreeing to? Did we have those conversations? And if you did, awesome. Like if you went to premarital counseling or you were in some sort of um, church-based premarital program, cool. Did they present to you the option that there were other relationship structures? Because I, other than the children who I know who were raised by polyamorous people, I don't know anybody who was exposed to that. And so, yeah, the betrayal is both real and was built 
on really rickety foundations of not having the information you might have needed in order to make an informed decision. So, and I'm curious when you, because you're, you see people through a whole arc of mm. transformation. You see what, what is a common arc for those folks who maybe did start out feeling betrayed? Did they, did they start to grasp like, oh, maybe there are agreements that would work for both of us, me really work for me, not just I'm allowing something to happen against my will, but like, oh, what, what did that look like? Were there, are there phases? Like, what is that? What is that transformation like? So let's talk timelines a little bit. So first off, um, my nurture cycle, right? I run a business. I have a nurture cycle. Um, it's typically around 18 months. A lot of times people know I exist, know that my work exists for quite some time. They're circling around my stuff because they're interested. Sometimes that's one part of a couple. Sometimes that's a solo person who's trying to figure out. And sometimes it's both of them, but they're still like, yeah, we're still just warming to the idea. So you might be in that long period of just sort of like testing the idea out in your head, looking for examples out in the world. And that's normal. And then there's the time when you decide, okay, I'm going to be in the conversation. That's exactly what I do. What I do in the year of opening in my private work is um, I get people into a container where we are intentionally walking through a process that takes at least a year of exploring. And during that year, everybody hits their comfort spot at a different time, right? Their spot where they're like, yeah, okay, I can feel into where this could serve or support me. And some people, how they, how they, where they get to is, yeah, I'm really monogamous. I'm monogamous at my core. This is my being. And now they have to decide what that means. Are they going to be in a mixed, um, in a mixed relationship structure? relationship? Are they going to keep exploring beyond their comfort zone and see if they have another breakthrough? Or are they going to say, you know what? I've been in this conversation and it's not for me. There isn't like a magic point like where, where everybody gets like a timeline that everybody hits magically, but there is often many more months than people will imagine. Many more months. The reason my program's are year long is because, I mean, it can take five, six, seven months to start softening to the language and allowing it to land in you in a way that isn't just rejecting and like, nope, this feels like, this feels like it's bad. This feels like I'm giving up something. This feels like it can't be for me. And I find that if we give people the time to be in the space of exploration, one of the things that also happens is they solidify their relational skills. Right. So there's all this skill building that also has to happen. We there's all this shadow work that needs to be done. And I I don't mean like hooky kooky. I mean seriously, you need to look at the stuff you don't know, you don't know. You need to, you need to have somebody introduce that to you and say, Hey, have you looked over here in your relationship? And all of a sudden, whew, things are completely different. As you go through that process, at some point, you can you may realize that you really are more aligned with monogamy you still gained all of these relational skills and all of this relational capacity. And if you do hit a spot where you're like, oh, actually I found not just softening, but I found my own reason for being here. I found my own why. Awesome. It might not be the same as your partner's. In fact, it probably won't be. Cool. Then what you have there is another opportunity to allow each other to grow in your intimacy while also growing in your differentiation. 
And when you say finding your why, can you give a concrete example of what that might be? Yeah. yeah. So my my polyamorous why, my reason um, for doing this is because I prioritize growth over comfort in everything. That is baseline for me. Um, and that one happens to be shared by my anchor partner. It is not shared by all of my other partners, right? That's my why. And over the years, Ken and I have come to agree on that. Like that one is actually shared, but that one guides pretty much every decision that I have to make around my relationships, which means if I am uncomfortable, that's not a reason for me to get out of the water being uncomfortable. I will bear the discomfort because I'm very curious about my psychological growth, my relational growth. Um, another, some people's why is they they don't want to go to the grave without experiencing some stuff. Um, in fact, I, I love that my father gave me permission before he died to talk about his stuff. Um, my father lived uh, 10 years after my mother passed. And I remember him having these conversations with me where he's like, I just want to try stuff. I just, I just, I just want to try stuff. And I'm like, dad, you missed the boat. Mom was so on board, (laughs) so on board. And like, he totally missed the boat, not just being like, dude, let's try stuff. So unfortunately, he waited until his body wasn't really in the shape that he needed to be to be able to get out in the world, right? And what a bummer. So I take very real, like, it's very real to me. If you are in your late 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, um... Yeah, now you're alive now. You're alive now. So if your why is because you want to be alive now, join the party. Let's get in the conversation. Well, it was so interesting when you were talking about vows and agreements. And I want to go there next because I really, really want to do that before we wrap. One of the things I had this image of was, oh, what if one of our vows was to support one another in being the most expressed and fully alive beings that we can be. That is different than you're allowed to do this or not allowed to do that. And like you were saying, there's a, there's an amount of flexibility in there that acknowledges that what's going to make you feel alive now might not be the same in 10 years. There might be a different, it might feel different, but I want you to be the most expressed and alive version of you that you can be. And I will support you in that as your mate. And Mm -hmm. and you will support me that in blah, blah, as, as my mate, like that's a different kind of vow. And that's like part of what we're doing here is to help one another self-actualize what we're doing here as in a partnership. And that might be uncomfortable. That might mean that. So I call that a relational uh, and individuation relationship. So the relationship itself is oriented around individuation. Individuation paths by necessity must be unique. That like that's their very nature is that they are unique. And the question is, can I lean in and support my partner having their unique experience? And I have an explicitly individuation oriented relationship in my life. Not all of them are. I have one that is explicitly about this. Um, I'm not going to lie. Is it harder than if I didn't do that? Yeah, it like it takes more fortitude and presence on my part to really stay in the, oh, he's different. He is separate. He is other. He has different needs than I do. He's 10 years older than I am. It's like just total, it means acknowledging our our differences so frequently. And it means taking responsibility for my own wants and not being able to ride on my partner's coattails and not being able to blame them when I'm getting or not getting what I want. So yeah, if you've got, if your why is that you want to self-actualize and you want to support your partner really individuating, 
awesome. Lean in and know that, I mean, my my podcast, Playing With Fire, is literally, its subtitle is Non-Monogamy and Individuation. Because I see non-monogamy and all the versions thereof as a an obvious path on which we may individuate. It is not necessary for individuation, but it is a path that we can choose. So let's talk about the difference between vows and agreements, because I think that's agreements are a big deal in the world of open relationships and they can change. You can change agreements. What are some, what to you is the difference and what are some concrete agreements that you either recommend for people who are starting out or examples of what you could tell, you know, a partner, like what are, what are some common agreements? Yeah. So I have a very disappointing answer in one respect because I refuse to offer sample agreements because your relationship is by nature unique, right? And your needs and your your trauma history and your relational history, your infidelity history, all these things, right? They're all unique to you. You're you've got this relational thumbprint. And so your agreements ideally are built to take all of that into account and to take your capacity and your different capacities, your bandwidth right now into account and to take your imagined future into account. So agreements are way more complicated than most people understand. Most people make relationship agreements by going to um, whichever uh, relationship book they like the best, turning to the agreements chapter and being like, let's create an agreement. They sit down for a couple of hours and they're like, we will hash out our agreement and then we shall go forth and fuck around and find out. I don't recommend that method because it is it's destructive testing. I mean, that's how my physicist husband would put it. Like you're you are guessing what your reactions will be and you're probably not spending the time you need to to imagine into what will actually happen and what the possibilities are and you probably don't even know what is possible. Um you like you don't know how to make agreements around these things because you don't know what exists. So, an example that came up recently is I had a friend who went to um, a sex positive retreat. Now, it like they put agreements in place before they left. So it was a sex positive space. Sex could happen. Full sex could happen. All sorts of sex could happen. Um, they were in a monogamous relationship. They put agreements in place that covered everything that they thought they needed to cover. They were good. I recently spoke with their partner and their partner was like, holy shit. Did There was no way I could have made an agreement for that because I didn't even know this stuff existed. So their partner was involved in things like energy sex and passing energetic, erotic energy and talking about sex. They had no idea. This was so far beyond their imagination. And we're talking totally clothes on, but they had no idea. And it broke their heart because they didn't know what to imagine into to create agreements. All that said, I teach agreement building in a three-phase process. Most people try to dive into the third phase, the what I call the relationship philosophy. We're going to have our big ideas, our vows, as it were, right? Like these big ideas that can hold our dynamic selves. That is, it, it's just so far abo- above our pay grade, my pay grade too, like we like to create that out of the box. So instead, I lead people through a process of first making Um, experimental agreements, minimum viable agreements is what I call them. I have a very structured approach to how we do this. Um, And then we go into holistic relationship agreements and we, we use our experiments to help us inform our holistic relationship agreement. And then once you've been doing this and practicing making agreements and making them dynamic and making them resilient and making them matter, then 
you'll wind up in a spot where you can have a relational philosophy that really holds you with this sense of security that you're like, yeah, I actually like I recently went on a, a week-long adventure and I, I really needed very little check-in with my my anchor partner because our relational philosophy is so deeply grounded in this clear experimentation and these many, many, many conversations. Um, but that's the deep end. I want people to walk through a process. And this is what I said. We don't get taught how to make these agreements. And then we're sold a line that like an agreement is just like, like we should be able to go to easy legal and be like, here's my relationship agreement. It, it's just, it's not that simple. It can be simplified. And I have simplified the process, but it's not going to be like download a template, boom, you're done. Yeah. And it's, it is complex because I think when folks are just starting out, which is what I have my attention on for this episode, right? Like how, how do I bring this up with my partner? I would imagine that one of their first questions is going to be, well, what does that mean? Right. Okay. I say like, I'm curious about potentially opening our relationship and they're going to say, well, what does that mean? Yeah. So I'm like, uh, well, maybe we can make out with other people, but like not have full sex with them. Or maybe we can, I think when a lot of people think of agreements, they think of what am I allowed to do? What are the rules? Not allowed to do if that's right. And we yeah. are a very rules-based culture. It's how we were so- socialized and that's, and it's a certain way of thinking that I would imagine you're so common to a process around. It's more than that. An agreement right. is more than that. And but you can start. It does include, right? Like I have friends of mine who are in poly relationships. And one of their relationship agreements is if we have full sex with people outside this relationship, we use protection. We yeah. are fluid bonded. And if we're outside of this container, we are using protection. That is one example, just an example of an example an agreement. Right. And right. that's not, that's yeah. Anyway. And, just, and that's, and that's part of the agreement. Cause actually it's not a complete agreement until you know what the consequence is. If you don't. Yes. Because until you've set a consequence, you don't have an agreement. What you have is heartbreak waiting to happen. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, and this is where we wind up with people like, fine, I'm out. Like, no, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. What I want is for you to come to agreements like, well, let me wonder into how much I know right now. So, right. If you're at the start, the very beginning, we're not making STI agreements here. We're going to make instead an agreement about staying in a conversation rather than taking physical action. So you might start with an agreement like, right now, this is entirely theoretical. I will not get on any apps. I will not start flirting with people. I will I will maintain boundaries around the people who I might already even just have an awareness of them in my field. I will maintain boundaries. And here are the boundaries I will maintain. And then I I will promise to hold myself in integrity because this is about an agreement with myself. This is another piece of the agreement puzzle. We are used to the idea that rules are punitive and they're to be applied to another person. That is not an ideal way to hold agreements. An ideal way to hold agreements is about, I'm going to make agreements that I actually can live into and will feel supportive to me. They will feel like scaffolding to hold me into being who I want to be. And then I will hold myself to the consequences of those agreements. And then your agreements become this supportive, nurturing experience rather than a punitive experience, which most of us have no experience with. Most of us will expect to be punished. And then we don't even know how to hold ourselves in integrity 
because we're just going to play as far out at the end of our leash as we can until we're caught. And then we'll ask somebody else, not even ask. We will just expect that someone else will punish us into behaving. There are giant air quotes around this. And all that is bullshit. None of that is actually agreement. And none of that is healthy relationships, monogamy or not. Mm-hmm. I, so this this agreement conversation can happen in any relationship con- like configuration and can absolutely transform your relationship from being one that is parentified, um, is one that is over-functioning, under-functioning matched, one that is turning into completely sexless because somebody's using sex as the consequence and withholding sex as the consequence. The agreement piece all by itself can be transformative, even if you never want to actually go out and have other relationships in the world. And this is just a shout out for mentorship. It's a great idea to have relationship mentors, whether those are coaches or therapists or group therapy or just any containers where you are looking at your shadow and what happened when you were a child, the parentification and, you know, that's all coming from somewhere. And whether or not you're in an open relationship, you can explore those patterns. And it's a good idea to explore those patterns because they matter and they will make your next relationship healthier, if not the one that you're currently in. Yes. Um, as we're starting to wrap up here, um, I'm, I'm curious about, um, what you're the most excited about in terms of the retreat. Um, and if you could give just a few more details about that, I have some as well, but I'm also going to drop these in the show notes just in case anybody's interested. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I happen to love structure. So I'm excited about bringing some structured pieces of learning um, because I I teach this stuff like every week. This is what I do, but I often don't get to do it in embodied space. So I'm excited about that. But the piece of that that I'm most excited to bring is something called orgasmic imagination. This is not about taking your clothes off. Um, This is a really profound depth psychological oriented conversation around using essentially the the premises of Jungian dream work, but applied to orgasmic images. It's a process I've been working on building in my research for about 12 years now and informally for another 20 years before that, the whole time I've been having orgasms. And it is, I'm really excited to be in this conversation in embodied space because what I'm finding is there is a, there is a piece of the opening conversation that really is about pleasure. I want more pleasure. There's another piece that is about, I want more access to me. Those things, those are deeply internal psychological processes and I've got tools for them. So I'm just super jazzed to share them. That's a great example. And correct me if I'm wrong. I think the dates are November 9th to 15th. 9th to 14th. Yep. 9th to the 14th. This retreat is in Costa Rica. It is a boutique hotel in Costa Rica. We're very excited about it. The whole thing. Yes, we have the whole hotel. Um, and yeah, there will be teaching and learning. We will also be going out on a catamaran. There will be time to have conversations and connect. There will also be structured workshops, like you said. Um, and if you're you know, interested in bringing this up with a partner, another thought is you could send them this episode. Yeah. And just say like, curious about your thoughts on this. You know, that's another way that you can softly introduce it. Um right. But we we are with you. We we understand that it's hard and that it's edgy, and that's part of um, I think being a fully alive person is the hard, edgy stuff. So we do support you in in your path wherever you are on that path. And um, if you're coming to Costa Rica, we look forward to seeing you. <laughs>